0: So under the idea of connecting with God and a deeper relationship with Him, we want to do that through sincere worship, spiritual disciplines, and therefore making disciples. In that category, we have asked Alan Fain to lead the group of sincere worship. Uh, Cliff Kirby will be leading that of spiritual disciplines, and Doug Ferris will be leading that of disciple making. Under the unity of believers, Keith Bowman will be leading uh, the unity within Lamar Avenue, the unity of this uh, local body right here, and then Clint Gage will be leading unity outside the walls of Lamar Avenue. And then under the restore all things category, Stephen Gerald will be leading the area which is uh, restoring all things in our community. And then Clint Spencer will lead the restoring all things to the ends of the earth. And so those men will, will make sure that you have what you need, that Uh, things are progressing and so that we are carrying out this vision and in 10 years when we look back we hope we can say that we are farther along than we were today. So we will start uh, this morning under the idea of seeking a deeper connection with God and I want to say a little word about that. Throughout Scripture uh, There are all kinds of statements uh, from the prophets through the New Testament of uh, words like seek him and live, seek his face. When God was displeased and his people had forgotten him and become disobedient, he would say I will turn my face from you. And so we seek the face of God. Uh, Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things would be added. God never intended for us to be his people by just doing certain things or just even carrying out acts of worship. He, From the beginning in in the book of Hosea, God prophesied through Hosea, he said, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And through Amos the prophet, God said, I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings or, and cereal offerings, even though you offer them. So when God's people forgot God, they were tre- mistreating other people. God said, I don't want you to come to church. I don't want you to take communion. I don't want you to offer your money until your heart is right with me, until you are connected with me. In Mark chapter 12 the Pharisees asked Jesus what's the greatest commandment, the first and the greatest. He said to them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And there is no greater commandment. To one of the scribes listening, He said to Jesus, this is way more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. In Matthew, Jesus said, in in relative to that statement, he said the entire law and the prophets are summed up in those two commandments. So how do we love God? How do we we seek God? How do we uh, get closer and more connected to God? the Pharisees were a people who were very good at carrying out the laws. They tithed, even down to the tiniest little spices. Jesus said, your deal meant in coming. They gave a 10% of even their spices. They prayed three times a day. They fasted twice a week. They did all the things that looked good. They washed their hands. They, they did all of those things, but Jesus said to the crowds he was speaking to, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So in James chapter 4, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we ask the question, how do you draw near to God? How do you seek God? How do you find that deep relationship with God? Because we believe that we as individuals, if we draw near to God and have a deeper connection with Him, that then this entire body will have a deeper connection. And out of that connection with God will flow the next two steps of this. And so we're going to begin now and we're going to hear from these men. They're not going to tell you all the things we're going to do because we're going to work as a church to do that. But they are going to give you their heart about where this ministry is. And so at this time, uh, we'll have Alan Fain come talk to you about connecting with God through sincere worship.
1: There was a holy hush all over. As I walked into the room, and as I stood before him face to face, I was gloriously made new. There was a great and awesome presence and the light, bright as the day. And as I bowed to kneel with angels, I heard the Spirit say, All rise, all rise, to stand before the throne in the presence of the Holy One. All rise, all rise. As we worship the Messiah, all rise. As I looked at those around me with their hands uplifted high, the Spirit laid his hand on me. I uplifted mine. We were singing hallelujahs and praises to his name, and as I bowed to kneel with angels, <clears throat> I heard the Spirit say, All rise, all rise to stand before the throne in the presence of the Holy One. All rise all rise as we worship the Messiah, all rise. These are the words to a Babby Mason song that's in our songbook. And to me, it's a great description of praise and worship around the throne of God. This time and this place is special. This time and this place has been sanctified. It's been set apart by God for his exclusive purpose. Nothing else matters. Nothing except praising the God of heaven and earth and to build up our own body. The sincere worship element of our vision affects us all very personally. When we come together in this room, (coughs) our minds and our hearts are in many different places. Worship is the one activity that we do most together as we share as a body. So this time and this place is the one time a week when we publicly get together and proclaim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And we also renew those promises we made at our baptism to love God and to love each other. So this leaves us with a very daunting task since we are so different in our philosophies, our desires, our traditions. Our maturity, our expressiveness, our sense of what is acceptable and our sense of what is not acceptable. How do we all move from where we are now to more closely being connected with God in this time, in this place? Jesus didn't really give a lot of commands in the New Testament, but one that he absolutely did, recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is that we are to love God with our entire being and that we are to love each other as ourselves. The song, The Greatest Command, is arguably the most popular song that we sing in this congregation. So I would suggest that we apply that greatest command to help guide us to a more sincere worship experience. First and foremost, that as we enter our worship time, we pray for a renewed heart that recognizes that at this time and this place, the only thing that matters, we are here to worship God And we're not here for our own desires. Secondly, we should pray that we recognize the incredible value of each one of us in here, made worthy and and expensive by the blood of Jesus. You know, I've become incredibly, incredibly forgiving of those people that I love the most. And I love and I accept them without expecting them to change first. So as a tool to help us get started on our path to a more sincere worship experience, I would suggest that we create a worship committee from the members of our church. Now this committee would be a cross-section of members here, crossing age, worship style preference, abilities, experience, and Christian maturity. And the makeup should look like a sampling of the people that are here to worship. The group is to be renewed on a quarterly basis, bringing in some new people, not all of them, And we would meet once a month to plan the services, the worship services for the Lamar Avenue Church. The group would get together with the input from the ministry staff and the elders and worship leaders. And they would choose the songs, the scripture readings, the order of activities, and the focuses of the prayer, all designed to glorify God and lift up this body. Additionally, it is my hope that through this group we can find a better way to tap into and to incorporate into our services the personal faith walk of each one of us here and be able to share that in a safe, welcoming place, this place. Jesus did most of his teaching with stories and human examples. Think of what we stand to gain by sharing each other's strength and sharing the wisdom of this many years of Christian experience. Psalm 122 said, I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I hope that when we come to this place each week, we come expecting to meet God, expecting to rejoice, and expecting to be blessed.
2: In the late 1700s, a gentleman by the name of Robert Rakes in Great Britain became frustrated and fed up with the endless cycle of poverty and ignorance that oppressed the uh, children and the students of his region. You see, they were forced to work six days a week, sometimes 14 to 18 hour days, and they had one day a week off, which happened to be Sunday. And so he took it upon himself to take advantage of that time off, and he started a school at no cost to the children or to their parents, where he had three goals. It was to teach them to read and to write, and he said, most importantly, to learn about God. And in that time, Mr. Rakes started Sunday school, which we happen to still practice today. He took the resources available to him at the time, uh, applied them through the discipline of education, and in the end, he enabled the students to reach a potential that they never would have found before. And because of this, they, um, their lives were changed, the lives of the people that they interacted with were changed, and Their children and grandchildren and generations to come were changed because they were able to reach their full potential. As the facilitator of spiritual disciplines, I have no intention to teach anyone to read or write, hopefully. But I do share one goal with Mr. Rakes, and that's that by applying our own resources and our own tools, we too may know God more fully and reach our own potential. By applying the tools of spiritual discipline, may that be Bible study, prayer, fasting, meditation. There's an endless list that you can find, but regardless of what it is, our goal is that we not only learn more about God, but that we also learn what it means to look like Jesus Christ. This idea, this concept of looking like Christ is also known as our identity. And that's what I want us to focus on through our spiritual disciplines is our identity formation. It's been defined different ways throughout history, but I think the best is in John chapter 10, where Jesus himself defines where our identity comes from. He presents a cultural narrative that's polar opposite of what we hear in today's culture. Our society tells us that you can find your identity if only you look hard enough. If you follow the desires of your heart, your deepest aspirations, we're told we can find our identity in our nationality, in our children, in our education, in our job description, and even in our religious persuasion. But Jesus says, this is wrong. Jesus Christ says, your identity is not achieved, it's received. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd, and you are my sheep. I have named you. In in essence, he says, your identity comes from me. I've given it to you. It comes from my death on the cross and my resurrection at the end. I think this is the place we have to start from to move on with our vision. And we have to get this part right. If our identity comes from anything other than the grace of Jesus Christ we'll be crushed, and we'll be, we'll, we'll be disappointed every time. If we follow down the road that we've all done individually, and if we're honest, we've done it collectively as a body of believers, if we go down the road of searching for an identity rather than accepting and submitting to the identity that Christ offers us under the authority of Scripture, it leads to destruction because it leads to pride. If we go down that road of searching for our identity and earning our identity, we start to believe that the quality of our work is the measure of our worth. In other words, we ignore grace, and we convince ourselves that if only we work hard enough and obey the law, surely God will save us. Through all of our spiritual disciplines, through our our time of Bible study, our Sunday school, through prayer, through meditation, through our fasting, individually and as a community, my hope is that we will be reminded or perhaps hear for the very first time that being an authentic Christian does not mean that we're saved because we're obedient. An authentic Christian is someone who humbly submits to the fact that we're saved sinners and that we're only saved by what Christ has done on our behalf, and because of that, we obey. This is our starting point. This is Connecting with God is the point that I think we have to get right if we have any hope of moving forward with a vision that is not only successful, but that's sustainable throughout generations. We have to get this part right if we ever wish to have the confidence and the freedom offered from Jesus to connect with each other in this body, to connect with believers outside of this wall, and to, and to bring restoration to our local community and to the ends of the earth. I think we can do it through spiritual disciplines if we apply them in the right manner.
3: So, how did you come to be a disciple of Christ? I don't mean when did you realize the depravity of your own sinful state and the need for salvation. I don't mean the recognition that God sent his son to this earth to be that redemptive sacrifice. And I don't even mean the decision to commit your life to Christ and to take him on the waters of baptism. But after that, how did you become a disciple of Christ? Scripture gives us lots of examples of our faith being a journey, being a walk. And just like a young baby, you've got to learn how to walk. So how did you learn how to walk? About six or seven years ago, I decided I wanted to be a basketball official. I know, bad idea. But I had people ask me, so exactly how, how do you become a basketball official? I said, well, I showed up at a meeting where other officials were gathered. I wrote a check, and they handed me a rule book. They said, you learn the rules in that book, go on out there. You can imagine the success that I didn't have with just a rule book in my back pocket the situations that i faced the the agony the tension of it all and the thought that crossed my mind is why am i doing this i've seen a lot of times as someone decides to become a christian they come to the meeting where the other believers are they might put a check in the plate And they're handed a rule book. And they said, you learn what's in this book, you got it. But then you walk out of here and you try to apply those rules to -to day-to-day living. It becomes more difficult, doesn't it? Knowing what's in that book is very important, but the application is so important too. And so we've got to find out where do we get that where do we get that training? Well, I think it starts with relationships. You know, this time, this hour that Alan has, has expressed to us here is really not a time we don't build a lot of relationships with each other in this hour. It's mostly focused towards God. And in our Bible classes, we get a little bit of interaction with each other, but we really don't build a strong relationship with each other in a way that could help train us. It takes a commitment from each one of us. Commitment of energy, commitment of time, a commitment of ourselves. Jesus gives us a great example. He invested three years of his life with a handful of men. And it wasn't simply to tell them how to live the right life, but he had to show them how to live the right life. And since then, Those men were entrusted with passing on that training all the way down to us. And we've got to figure out a way to continue that training. In Paul's letter to Titus, he mentions the older women to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and children. They didn't love their husbands and children. Well, sure they did, but they had to be shown how to love their husbands and children. I think it was more than how to fry an egg and how to change a diaper. I think it was, how do you love your husband when he comes in and says the crop's a failure? How do you love your child when they say nobody at school likes me? There's a training to that. Unless you think you young folks are off the hook, he also tells Timothy to be an example in speech. In life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Yes, we have a lot to learn from the young folks, just like they have a lot to learn from us. But it's responsibility of each one of us to do that. long time ago, a man looked up to God and said, am I my brother's keeper? I think the answer was yes, we are. We have this special time where we strive to reconnect our lives with God. And he's instructed us to do that through a meal. Through a meal that we can participate in. And so as we prepare our hearts and our minds this morning to participate in that meal that we call the Lord's Supper... We're going to do that by the singing of this song and then Kyle will come and lead us in some scripture meditation. But I want you to focus on these words this morning that describe to us, hallelujah, what a savior we have.